We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 422 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, with our last show before a hypothetical holiday break. You know me, I'll probably have something out next week. I'm joined by Emil Evanesian to try our best to jump back into the Barca world as we try to reset and get ourselves into gear for the rest of the season. How's that sound, Emil? That sounds good to me. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing okay. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. we're ready for the holiday. I think we're ready for maybe yeah. a two or three day break. Unfortunately, here in the U.S., if you're anywhere in the U.S., you're getting absolutely pelted by it's supposed to be, you know, I'm speaking in Fahrenheit here. I'm apologies to our Celsius listeners, yeah. but Fahrenheit is in the teens. So basically 20 degrees below freezing. So yeah. all, even if you're Celsius, what you need to know is it's below freezing here by a little bit in the US. So that's gonna be the whole little weekend. So that's a whole thing. So we're gonna try so, to travel, but in it's sleeting where we're trying to see my family for the first time in a year. So it's sleeting oh, though, and it's it's a whole thing. The whole thing. We'll um, see how it goes. My my in laws are actually in Minneapolis, and oh uh, yeah, it's like yeah, thirty there. Yeah, it's so so there. Yeah, it's supposed to be like ten inches of snow, and I just checked right now. The temperature is minus eight, okay. and it, they're supposed to get like ten inches of snow with like fifty mile an hour winds. It's, yeah, well, that, that's why you, that's why you live in Barcelona. Well, not Correct. the primary reason, but that is a reason you live in Barcelona. A reason my, my wife and I eventually want to make sure we get my, back. My wife does a victory lap every time we're here and yeah. Minneapolis gets pelted with something like this. Uh, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Well, all right. Speaking of Barcelona, let's put our focus yep. back to, to where you're living now because I, I do yes. kind of want to set the table. Uh, well, I did kind of set the table, <clears> I should say, from yesterday when I guessed Xavi's wishlist. That's available on YouTube, so you can check that out. What his wishlist would be, it was really for the spring, more than the summertime even. That list included winning the Liga, starting negotiations with the Busquets successor, fortifying Frankie de Young's spot in the squad, and keeping everybody healthy. So, yep. Emil, after hearing those four things, do you agree with that list in that order? And is there anything I missed? Obviously, the de Young one's a bit, little bit of a stretch. I think probably keeping everybody healthy even more so than individually worrying about de Young. But as far as your business, like Busquets stuff, like getting whatever it is, pre-contracts, you know, we can do that in a second. But yeah, well, is there anything you think I missed before we get into the actual list? I don't think so. I mean, there's always the, you know, the, the fortifying the back line a bit more that uh, right back is an ongoing question. But uh, in the absence of that, I mean, I think if they're able to accomplish those four things, it would be a rousing success over the next, what, four or five months? 
Yeah, I mean, when I say fortify Frankie DeYoung too, I re- I yeah. I'm half talking about his wages, honestly. I, I, oh, I'm yeah. not talking about his spot in the squad, but the other part is, you know, will he agree to a reconstructing his wages? I should probably put renewing Alejandro Balde somewhere on that list, of course. Right. We <laughs> mentioned that yesterday. But when I say also start negotiating with Busquets' successor, I, I had a little a lot of little allusions to like the holiday stuff, but this is more like a Christmas story kind of thing than it is like <laughs> the Christmas morning on in like Whoville. You know what yeah. I mean? Two different references there. Like this isn't like some big. I mean, before the the Grinch spoiler alert. Before the Grinch steals all the presents, <laughs> and there's, there's all the uh, the Juan Hooglers and the, the you know the Wim Bobblers. The, yep. the little Who children are playing. So it's not yep. like that's not going to be this for Barcelona. That might be this for Real Madrid, who are sitting on 600 million euros. It might be PSG, who have an unlimited amount of money. Mm. But for Barcelona, it, come January, there is no big presence going to be found under the tree. But yeah. I think what could happen very well, again, when there's smoke, there's always a little bit of fire. The A pre-contract can be signed with N'Golo Kante, who has been injured for most of this year, but is 32, still probably has a bit to go. He's still on the top of his game before he got injured. Still one of the best at his position. Again, two years younger than Busquets. So I could see a pre-contract, especially if he agrees to like fit in the wage structure to be kind of yeah. where he would be. So let's say he make, he agrees to make somewhere just north of, of where Sergio Roberto is, then obviously you sign him on the dotted line yesterday yep. and say, okay, that gives us even a year or two of a cushion to really trigger, try to figure out. And I, I don't mean successor to Busquets. I mean, really, I mean a defensive midfielder. I really mean a pivot. Like, yes. That's what I can do just playing a 4-3-3. Yeah, someone to asking about like Busquets thing, comparing. No, no, I'm, I'm literally talking about if you're playing a 4-3-3, who is playing as your pivot? Because if it's not... Yeah, Barcelona, someone to play the position, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like and like a physical replacement, yeah. Correct. And the De Young thing kind of goes in line with that. But again, for De Young, as I've said many, many times before, he's already showcased in a few seasons now that he, if he hasn't taken that spot, is there a world where he does? It's not... Mm-hmm. I, it's not really not the spot where I think he's going to fit unless Barcelona yeah. changes their system around him. And with Pedri and Gabi coming to the, the forefront now, well, I don't think Barcelona are, in, are having any intentions to change completely around Frankie De Young. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's just there's too much going on, too much good going on, and particularly in the midfield with with the duo that you talked about. You can't completely overhaul overhaul the system. I mean, I think there's always going to be the question of where do you put De Jong? What what system do you play him in? Unfortunately, I agree with you. I don't think he's well suited to slot into the the Busquets role. So I think, you know, as far as that goes, I, it, I feel like we're probably just going to get a little bit more of the same, you know, what we've gotten as far as usage of, of Frankie de Young. I don't, yeah, I don't see him as the replacement. The the Conte thing that you talked about, he, as far as bridges go, you know, if he doesn't cost too much money, that is as spectacularly kind of experienced and competent and still, if not at the peak of his powers, like near the peak of his powers, a bridge as you can get. I mean, in, in a sense, it's almost like the inserting Lewandowski as as your striker. I mean, it's he's about as good as there is, and for the time being, he will continue to be that. But time is going to come for him as it comes for everybody. But he is yeah. as gr- he is as good a transitional player in that spot as you're going to find. Well, yeah, I wonder too if his injuries from this season will also, if anything, help Barcelona in negotiations on that wage structure because again, he's not really been fit for the last what yeah. seven eight months. So. That is a consideration on both ends, right? That's like, why would you get a player who's 32 and an injured? Like yeah. But, or I think he turns 32 in March. I think that's why I keep saying he's 32, but he's, I think he's 31 now. going to be 32. Yeah. So that's where we're at on that. Again, keeping everybody healthy. As I said before, Ronald Araujo is getting him back on the field and getting him healthy. 
that is yeah. what can help Barcelona win trophies. I think almost more than any other player. I, I, I say that, but then somebody's going to go down and you go, okay, well, obviously without Lewandowski, <laughs> can they score goals? Without Dembele, can they create goals? Without Pedri, can they muster up any effort <laughs> in the middle of the field? Um, yeah. Bobby running around, right? So anyway, so as I also said, priority number one, though, is what Laporta and Xavi have both now said, speaking to the media this week, that navigating their way through the Liga is the biggest priority for the rest of the season. And yes. it's not flashy. It's not, you know, the big headlines like Barcelona want to win the Liga. Of course they do. Like, obviously, they, they want to win the Liga. Yep. But even more so than the Copa del Rey, Spanish Super Cup, and Europa League, they have prioritized winning the Liga week in and week out. And again, it's like, it's not exciting. Look at the league table and say, oh, have to get another result against Athletic Club. Have to get a result against Real Sociedad and Real Betis and Espanyol and Girona and going down the list of the players, I yeah. mean, the players and the teams and the faces and the jerseys that we know so well. But yet mm-hmm. that is the important thing. Pipping Real Madrid, who have all the spending, who are going to keep spending. You know, they're they're going to get whoever, whatever. We'll talk about that later. But yep. being able to beat that team to the Liga is important. And it's not about the rivalry with Real Madrid and Barcelona. It's that by winning your league in Spain against Real Madrid and against Atletico Madrid and whoever else can try to contend in Spain, winning your league is always important. So yes. don't let the whole PSG Champions League thing neuter that down because Barcelona are fighting with somebody who is like who has the rival in Real Madrid who have yeah. bigger spending power than they do. So by pipping them to that title, it does say something, right? With with spending the way it is right now, it wasn't the last five years, but with spending the way it is, even though Real Madrid didn't get Mbappe, they are going to over the next two three years outspend Barcelona two or three times because yeah, by by orders of magnitude, yeah. right? So this is the equivalent of Lille beating PSG to the title in terms of overall spending. Well, not exactly. That was like 10 to one. <laughs> this is yeah. like two to one, but yep. you get the point. So yeah, La Liga, again, it's not exciting, but that's the most important thing for this team. And I think that's to me, the thing that I'm going to have to continue to harp on and not let people like, Oh, well, you know, La Liga is whatever, 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 as other competitions kind of distract, but that's the point. Yeah. We've talked so much about the, what's happened in Europe and there was the champions league, collapses during the during late the late stages of Messi and then there was the year out of the Champions League and or not you know but the the last two years where they've gotten knocked out of the Champions League so it's easy to kind of think of past glories and want a quick return to that and you know maybe it's via the the Europa League or something like that but I think we've entered what is in the ultra modern era you know something of a of a trophy drought or of a prestige trophy drought for Barca and I think winning the league in Spain would go a very long way towards cementing that just, you know, I guess almost building on some of the the good vibes and the the increased confidence that we've seen, you know, particularly this season. I think there's a little bit of beating Real Madrid to something would be a, a good, you know, feather in their cap. Because even last year where, you know, Barca had fallen out of the the Champions League and, you know, before before the Eintracht Frankfurt debacle, there was a thought that, okay, maybe, you know, we, we should be favorites in the Europa League. You know, maybe we can do that. And Real Madrid against PSG and Manchester City, it looked like they were going out. And it was it was sort of the sum of all fears for Barca fans where we fall into the Europa League and then just get bounced by, by Eintracht Frankfurt while Real Madrid just pull miraculous, miraculous comeback after miraculous comeback out. And then they just like go and win the Champions League. Just almost nonchalantly, you know, and um, so I think there is a little bit of a need to reassert 
I don't know, supremacy or at least to best Real Madrid on some one front or another. And all we've really got right now is the is La Liga and the Copa del Rey. And I think you know La Liga would go a very long way towards you know reestablishing Barcelona, reestablishing this you know this project or this phase of the club, and saying that okay, we haven't won the Champions League, but we're we're good again. You know, we were good enough to outlast Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, and everyone else over 38 games. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Well, speaking of the Copa del Rey, yeah, I mean, the last three winners are Real Betis last year, Barcelona the year before, and Real Sociedad the year before that. Yeah. And as much as I say, don't take for granted the trophy that Barcelona has won more than anybody else. 
in yeah. in Spain, it still is this point where that is not going to move the needle. Like the Copa del no. Rey, the Copa del Rey does not bring free agents, which is again what Barcelona have got to rely on for at least yep. again another two transfer windows, that being January and the summertime. Yep. And then we've been told that they're likely in 2024 going to be able to completely, you know, reset and be, mm-hmm. be be pushing and be able to to compete on that kind of on that kind of limit again. Uh, but for the Copa del Rey draw, speaking of. Remember that Barcelona will travel to the ground of their opponent because their opponent is ranked lower than them in a different league. And they have drawn CF, the mighty CF Intercity, who are located in Alicante near Valencia. So I would say, oh, it's it's a return of uh, home for Iñaki Peña, who was born in Alicante. But if I'm not mistaken, Peña came in 2011 and Intercity were founded in 2017. So there there is no crossover. This is a very, very new club even. Yep. You know, when it comes time to make that match review, just to warn everybody, I might have to put a stand in for their logo because as far as their logo, I'm having a hard time even finding one that fits a, a PNG format without a, a little bit of work. So that's how new they are, where Google was not even recognizing their, their logo yet. But they did draw Barca B 0-0 earlier this year. This should be one where Barcelona can basically play Barca B players, especially because it's coming in the middle of next week. So it'll come in the middle, if I'm not mistaken, of Espanyol and Atletico Madrid. So yeah. play your young players. Yeah. Well, pretty much you get a result. If you don't, then, I mean, I, I'm not, don't cry for me, Argentina. Like, that's it. The other juicy draws, though, speaking of the Espanol match, we'll train us in that in a second. It's Espanol versus Celta de Vigo. So interestingly enough, Espanol, who have Barca on the 31st, then the midweek have to worry, not worry about, but they have to consider how they're going to rotate against Celta de Vigo, and then they have another Liga match. So Barcelona kind of the easier of that, that little three-game stretch there than Espanol. But again, they do have Atletico Madrid on the following weekend. And so that does bring up kind of what Xavi's plans are going to be. Who replaces Lewandowski for those three matches in the Liga because he is suspended, silver, mind you, and what should Xavi do? Because option one, if you will, option A in theory, is that Memphis's future looms pretty large. Like, will Memphis choose to sit out or how will that come? And will Xavi decide to trust him at this point, after he was injured for so long, we could also see reports are that MLA will get that that game off, which makes sense with that sure. World Cup. And you know, I think people are going to overstate like what the the final meant and how that might have affected him. I don't think so. Like, if anything, as as you and I had spoken about during the World Cup, he was pretty consistent throughout the World Cup. Like, he was consistently yeah. being Dembélé and mm-hmm. Argentina. Not not only they shut him down, but they kind of shut everybody down. Like, if Dembélé looks yeah. at the tape. He's not going to say, this is on me and Giroud. I mean, Argentina and uh, so much credit goes to Scaloni for just setting up not to exploit Dembele's weaknesses, but to suffocate and deny Mbappe the ball, to yep. use Teo Hernandez's positioning against him, to overwhelm the midfield and take advantage of, of the middle of the, of the park. So it wasn't just Dembele. It's that Deschamps decided to try to change that and try to adapt to having got his tactics wrong originally. But again, having... Dembélé missing voluntarily, plus Lewandowski also missing against Espanyol. It is a derby, a derby without the confidence of PK in the derby. Yeah, <laughs> love to say, hey Barcelona, like let's stomp on their throats. But all that said, you should still be able to beat Espanyol's back four. It's Brian Olivan or Adria Pedrosa, the two left backs. Mm-hmm. Those are probably the two biggest names on the back line. Like, which is crazy to say that it's Olivan mm-hmm. or Pedrosa. So I think that Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, and Rafinha. Maybe plus Memphis, maybe not. That yeah. trio should be able to get the job done against Espanol, or else you probably don't deserve the points. Agreed. Um, I I do think I think a lot hinges on Memphis because I personally would be 
I would have no hesitation about about playing him. I mean, you know, provided he's he's willing to play, like he doesn't want to he doesn't want to sit out or anything like that. I mean, I do think it it's Memphis played hard. He looked pretty good in the World Cup, and you, you would think he'd probably be. I mean, unless he thinks that the World Cup performance is kind of enough of a CV for whoever whoever his next club is. If you're in a pretty decent run of form and you've got a nice runway where you can carve out three consecutive starts for yourself against, what is it? It's Espanol, Atlético de Madrid, and I cannot remember the... Oh, Real Betis. Oh, Real Betis. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, against, against Espanol, he, I mean, Barca in general and Memphis specifically, shouldn't struggle too much. I mean, I'm just, whatever, I'll, I'll pick up. PK's mantle and um, and essentially just moderately overlook Espanol. I mean, I guess there's maybe the reunifying of, you know, kind of the, the reconvening of the team post-World Cup and whether there are any, you know, just hiccups or you know, skips in, in rhythm or anything like that. But if everyone is back more or less in in La Liga, in a La Liga mindset, there really shouldn't be that that great of an issue, you know, Lewandowski or not. And I think this would be a great chance for, for Memphis. And then, I mean, if he if he plays well there and he he's playing confidently and he has Xavi's confidence and everything else, you know, the next two games are a couple of great chances against more upper tier La Liga competition. But I think it's it's teams that he could do some damage against. And I know the looking at the form sheet is so so weird because you know the last game was what six weeks ago or something. Yeah, yeah. But because Atlético de Madrid have had a pretty bad run of late, and you know Betis have a single win in their last five and they got hammered three nil by Valencia prior to the break. So, you know, this could be a decent chance for Memphis to get in, find a groove and really contribute to, to Barca as well. And, you know, kind of go out on a high and probably, I don't want to say inflate, but, you know, elevate his value on the open market as well. Yeah. Just Cause it's, it is twofold, right? It's that are the players who played at the world cup who were able to stave off injury because again, the positive for mm. Barcelona and actually for most teams, I don't think there were any, not that there I weren't any think, massive injuries, were there? No, any massive injuries to keep anybody out for any long amount of time. Obviously, the extra miles on all those legs are not great for any of those players. Yeah. They do need some rest, especially again Dembele, who has been injury prone throughout his career, even though he's been able to be good this season. But you know, I think for all those players at the World Cup, it, right, it could be either they're still in form and they're still working out, right? Because usually they are playing their club football. And usually this time of the year is really congested, especially those Premier League players. Yes. This is usually mm-hmm. a really congested time. So to have this time off for some of those teams is, is really interesting. And I'm wondering, are those teams like Espanol, like Real Betis, who didn't really have anybody in the World Cup, are they going to be rusty? Well, I mean, Real Betis had one or two players, but they weren't even like the regular starters, like their rotation piece in the midfield were playing yeah. um, for other teams. And Ryan Varcano had somebody, right? Like that kind of thing, right? They had like one yeah. or two players here and there down the Liga table. But for Espanol and the like, right? Like they played Copa del Rey last week. I mean, Espanol was pretty trash in the Copa del Rey. Like they managed to yeah. move on, but they were not good at all. Like they barely snuck by a lower division side. Yeah. Um, and so it, you have to take consideration that Barcelona might be able to take their players who are kind of coming back in maybe a little bit of form uh, or at least having played and being match fit and hit the ground yeah. running. Or the the opposite of that is that these other teams have been preparing and preparing and pairing and they're ready to go and they're, they're up to it while Barcelona are just kind of try to say, all right, you know, I know everybody, let's refocus. Let's have a good heads in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like let's, let's ease back into this thing and just, right. and because it is tempting to, to look at Espanol. I mean, they're not just form. I mean, their place, 
their league standing is yeah, bottom. very, very bottom. poor. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you assume that Sevilla is going to find some sort of form at some point, I mean, it comes down to Espanol and Celta de Vigo right now are two points adrift of anyone else, you know, trying to battle to stay out of that last relegation spot. So on the one hand, if Espanol comes in with the right mentality, I mean, they're, they have to look at every game as a, if not a must win, at least yeah. rack up some rack up some results where you can. I also, as you said, don't want to spend too much time on them just because they don't, yeah. not say that they aren't talented enough to worry about, but like at the end of the day, like their, their squad is one that we shouldn't, we don't need to take too much into consideration. Just no, no. Want it more it's, and it's more so how Barca come in, come into right. the game. No, I mean, the, the good thing is other than Dembele and Kunde, no Barcelona player of note was in the semifinals or, or the final. Nope. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, you know, Lewandowski's gotten some rest. Uh, Araujo has gotten some rest. The Spanish contingent, they've been hanging out. Um, so the... The World Cup in a weird way for given the the lack of international success for Barca's players, you know, the the French guys notwithstanding, in a weird way might actually be great because not only did they not have this long gap from competitive football the way the rest of La Liga did, they got to play competitive football and essentially stay in that sort of rhythm, but also got bounced out early enough where they by the time they take the pitch against Espanol, I mean they'll They'll have had, what, probably, what's it going to be, two, three weeks off? And in, in that sense, it's actually pretty good. They got to play for about three weeks and then three weeks to sort of lick any wounds and, and recharge their batteries. Yep, yep, yep. And I've been tracking and figuring out who's returned to training, when they return to training. Yeah. You know, obviously, Eric Garcia, he got off the plane and, and went right to it because yeah. he played the World Cup. But speaking of training, though, Kind of my gift to the academy heads or the, to the, the La Masia heads, you know, I, I go a few weeks without mentioning it, but it really has been interesting to me over the last, what, about, about two weeks or so, two and a half weeks since they really came back into full force in training. It's been interesting, the players and the young players I'm talking about here that have had repeat call-ups this week and last week for training. So it may be a youngster or two that we'll see in the Copa del Rey, but also maybe not because there were also a bunch of injuries for Barca Athletic. So that's why you probably haven't seen the likes of Avaro Sanz, Alexi Garrido, Ida Shakomash, or Pablo Torre, by the way. So Pablo Torre, mm. really bad timing for an injury for him. He picked up either in training and then he, like, it didn't get better for Barca Athletic when he played for them. So Pablo Torre, is, unfortunately for him, might miss a bus, like a really important bus that he, he, he needed to get on. But yeah, and the likes of Akomash, Garrido, Sanz, you know, bad timing for their injuries as well. So also for Barca Athletic, because they continue to play throughout this entire World Cup, they played pretty much every weekend. So a lot of those players have stuck with the Barca Athletic and Rafa Marquez and are like training as a mm -hmm. team, doing their thing. That's why we haven't always seen Marc Casado. We saw him once or twice last week, but we haven't seen too much of him. So I'm going backwards in time here. Yesterday was Chadi Riyad, who I think you're going to see in the Copa del Rey midweek uh, against Intercity. And then there's Lamine Yamal, Danny Rodriguez, and Angel Alacan. Tuesday was Yamal, Hector Fort, Astanis Pedrola, Rodriguez again, and Arnel Rafus, uh, Rafus rather. Monday was Fort, Pedrola, Rodriguez, and Rafus again. Last Friday was Rafus, the goalkeeper, Fort, Arnel Canas, Alacan, Rodriguez, Yamal, Gerard Hernandez, or Gerard Hernandez rather, Sergi Dominguez, and Xavi Moreno, as well as Casado, as I said. And then earlier last week, it was Yamal, Casas, Fort, Unai Hernandez, Rodriguez, and Alacan, plus goalkeeper Ander Estrelaga. So a few notes here. As I said about the UEFA Youth League, which Barca will still be contesting, the names that you just heard are primarily U19 or Juvenal or even lower. But the names are some of the ones we've heard to expect 
with mm-hmm. the highest potential. It's not just like a random position. It's the, the names we've heard, with the exception of the goalkeepers. The goalkeepers are the goalkeepers that are available that aren't yep. Barca Athletic goalkeepers. So unlike the youth league, there were less Barca B names, I said, like Victor Barbera, who's been scoring goals in the youth league. He's been scoring goals in for Barca Athletic. He actually leads, he's their leading goal scorer with four. And he's still technically a U19 player. So Barbera, also going to be a free agent in the summer. So I wonder how the club is going to handle him. Yeah, that's why you're not hearing him in first team training. Because he is with Barca Athletic, with Juvenil, the U19s. He's getting game action somewhere. And then there's no Chusalba or Antonio Aranda or Alice Carbonell. Some of those midfielders that we would expect that are the starters for Barca Athletic. As I said, the first team training call-ups right now are younger. And those guys are still playing for Marquez's team right now. So... The five names that repeated the most are those that are interesting to me, and I would just want to go through those individually. Pedrola, the winger, made his first team debut last season, if you remember, and he was he was likely called out to first team training because he just got fit recently, last week, and then he made his season debut for Barca Athletic over the weekend. And Xavi was a, looked at him last year, was interested in what he could bring to the table, so I think he's taking a look at him again and kind of just using first team training to get him back into a little bit of fitness. And then I don't need to tell you about Yamal, but he should be highlighted here because there are new concerns that his camp may be asking for a bit more money than is reasonable with his professional contract when he turns 16 in the summer, I think July. But that could also be outside interference trying to unsettle the player or the club because he is good, but he's 15, but he's good. But Xavi, uh, but Gabi rather, Ansu and Pedri were 16 and he's not them, but he's good. And you get the idea. Where it yeah. seems like the club, what I do believe is the club has put forth the the notion that he's going to be training in first the, with the first team now. Maybe he'll be training some throughout the spring, and then because he's still 15, he'll likely do preseason as a 16 year old with the first team. Whether he just does the local part of it in Catalonia and he doesn't go on whatever trip they go to to either Asia or North America or wherever they go, maybe they stay in Europe, wherever he may not travel with them. But Yamal is going to get an opportunity to impress under Xavi. And that, of course, is going to affect contract negotiations. But I think that his group basically says, by 17, he should be around the first team. And with everything we've heard, this is the level of prospect you're talking about. So mm-hmm. I think for the club to put a plan in a way they didn't even for Eco Bravo, I'm not saying they learned a lesson from Eco Bravo, who went to mm-hmm. Leverkusen, made his first team debut at 16, and then now he's with Real Madrid, of course, with their Castilla. But I think for Yamal, it's a little bit of a different situation where... They're going, they're going, they're getting right into it. And then, all right, do you want to speak for your mall? Then I'll, I'll get the other three real quick. Admittedly, I am not among the, the biggest of the La Masia heads. I mean, he is, you know, I kind of know him by, by name, by reading and from the, the occasional bit of video, but from what I've read, I mean, it's, even if he's not a Gabi or Pedri level prospect, which who among them is really, but like you said, he's a very good player and you know, where he actually fits into the team as currently comprised or, you know, as will be comprised in, in a year's time, let's say, or something is, but I do think that when you have someone of excellent potential and potentially an excellent senior player in the building, like on your, on your team, I do think it's only responsible to treat them as such. And I don't mean, overemphasize their their impact of the team but he's based on everything i've read everything i've seen he's worthy of a shot you know he deserves to he deserves to carve out his place in his future at barca and well he's he's the best attacking prospect since Ansu Fati in the academy like yeah it's him as far as a forward winger 
in the middle. Like we don't even know he'll play eventually, but yeah. at this point, I think he'll come up as a winger and then kind of figure it out where he can do the, the least amount of damage. And it's not just Jamal either, though. The other three here next up is Hector Fort, a 16 year old right back playing for the U19s and in the youth league. So you've probably heard about him from me earlier, mm-hmm. even over summertime or in, here in the fall. But even last season, you know, the reason I died, you may not have heard of it because he was 14, 15. I don't really say those names to you. But last season, he was a center back and fighting for playing time at his age level as a center back. But now he's a right back and Barca's most promising right back at that. And that's how quickly that changes for these young players. It can change in a matter of weeks and months. So he does have a birthday in August. So again, he just basically turns, well, he just, he's 16 and a half now. Next season, I would already put him on the, the big radar, just like Gamal. I mean, as a right-back prospect, depending on what they do at that position, and if they don't get it sorted with the money situation. So if you're asking, would I trust next season, next August, a 17-year-old over Bayerine? I'm not saying I would, and I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm saying that they're both in training. So what is Xavi seeing? <laughs> and I'm, I would, I'm I'd be interested Xavi. to roll the dice. <laughs> like I would, I would at least give it a spin. <laughs> so then the next one is 17-year-old Danny Rodriguez, an attacking midfielder who can also play on the wing. Those two qualities give him a Pedri at Las Palmas vibe. Okay, and I'm putting the disclaimer real quick here. I'm not comparing what Pedri is today on potential for Danny Rodriguez because Danny's 17. So I'm just saying that the player that I watched at Las Palmas at 15 in Pedri is what Danny Rodriguez reminds me of at 17 playing against 18-year-olds. Okay, (laughs) so big difference. Las Palmas in the second division, 15-year-old Pedri playing against adults to what Danny Rodriguez does against 18 and 19-year-olds. So he's thought of pretty highly, though, and for good reason. And it's interesting to me as well that of all the midfielders in the academy, that it's Rodriguez who keeps getting called up to training. And as I keep reminding you, attacking midfielders and, you know, those interiors, it's like it seems to be the hardest position for to get called up to first team training. You never know. Like it's constant competition. Mm-hmm. Again, on the Copa del Rey depth chart, it could still be Chusalba and Antonio Aranda and other players who we even saw mm-hmm. in the preseason above, I mean, in front of Danny Rodriguez. But from the U19 group, he seems to be the one that Shabi is saying, yeah, I want to see this guy in training day in and day out. We've seen him quite a few times. And the last one on the list here is Anjo Alakan. He used to be very, very fast, but unfortunately now being 18, he's missed more than a year, had mm-hmm. some pretty awful injuries to his knees, and he's finally trying to get back to fitness. So he is and was one of the more promising forwards in the academy and able to play through the middle at lower levels, but is now shaping up as a winger as he gets older. So he's interesting because his ceiling was so high and now at 18, you wonder what time he can make up for and what condition he can be in as well. Because he's still a teenager, though. Still 18. Yeah. So, you know, asking how he can heal from being on the shelf for so long. Again, main primary question. But I am glad that Xavi is giving him an opportunity in first mm-hmm. team training to show where he's at and try to use even that first team training to get back to hopefully get some essence of what the right track is for this player. Again, 18 is not a death sentence at all for a young player like that. But physically, you hope he can get back to what he was. Because again, his physical tools were there. And, you know, he does also profile a bit like, I, you know, I, I'm now realizing I'm overusing like, oh, if it's a, a guy who shows up in space, but you're not entirely trusting him to score is becoming Ferran Torres. But unfortunately <laughs> for you, he does remind me of a Ferran Torres where he scored a bit more at youth level. But again, Ferran Torres at Valencia was also absolutely lighting it up, totally lighting it up at, at youth level for Valencia in terms of the goal scoring. So Anna Halakon is kind of that, like he, he, he takes up space. Well, he makes good runs and he he had a bit more speed than Torres did even at, at youth level, but we'll have to see where he's at. So the reason I bring all this up though, Emil, like why mm-hmm. did, why did I have the whole thing? Why did I update you on all those players? I talk about the Academy kids because 
there is, of course, a lot of gloom and doom that Barca missed out on Andre Santos to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. That's that's the new name this week, the Vasco da Gama midfield, uh, da Gama midfielder who I watched. And just to give my two cents on it, would have been cool if he come to Barca. But I also don't think he's the pivot that everyone's saying he is. I think he's much more of a box to box guy, gets forward a bit more, and I, I think he 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 reminds me a bit more of I don't want to say Paulinho, but I, I don't know. He I don't exactly know exactly who he's going to be, but I don't see him as the pivot that everyone thinks he's going to be. Uh, maybe he turns out to be that way and I'm wrong, but I also don't think he's going to get many chances for Chelsea. So we'll have to see how his career goes. And then obviously it's a Real Madrid thing. It's Endrick to Real Madrid. It's Chilomani to Real Madrid. Probably Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid. And Enzo Fernandez going to somebody, wherever he goes, right? Manchester United or wherever. Mm-hmm. So you get the idea. Every yep. young talent is going to get snatched up by somebody else yep. in the next two years. But there will be others. Like, that's what I'm kind of saying here. Yep. And Barca, not only do they have some of them in their academy, but there are, are still others that will be in play for Barcelona. So even this week, right? Alan Varela of Boca Juniors. Bukuku, mm-hmm. who might, he's a free agent, but he's either going to go to Chelsea or he likely is going to renew with Borussia Dortmund. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But those players are both both in play. So we'll have to wait and see. Like, there is a world. And I, I, unfortunately, I'm saying it at the same time, but because uh, Neil Gardner on Twitter, is, it's such a big name now and, and, and mm-hmm. so popular. A lot of the names that I have are overlapping with him. But if Barcelona had a summer where they brought in Alan uh, Varela for less than 20 million euros somewhere, they brought in Ana Martinez for less than 20 million euros, and they brought in or, and they found a way to get Mukuku, and maybe they even side Kante if they're going to get rid of Kessier. That's a fine summer. Like bringing in those four players yeah. and then also getting promotions to Yamal and uh, whoever, right? And then whoever it may be, then Casado gets a few more games or Riyad gets a few more games, right? Or, and then by the way, also Enigo Martinez, the left, the uh, center left, center back with left footed center back for Athletic Club. He likes yeah. on the way too. So the other thing, the last point here, then Emil, I'll give you the full runway here, mm-hmm. is that Barca in theory are already pretty young. The average age yeah. of the squad is down to 25.6 years old after PK left, and that would drop down more when Busquets leaves. Likely yes. So if Barca start Balde, Eric Garcia, Araujo, and Kunde, something we could see, Kunde yeah. is the oldest one there, just turning 24 recently. And if you yep. play Pedri and Gabi and De Young, the average age of that midfield is 22.5 years old. And for yes. the forward, if you go Ansu, Ferran Torres, and Dembele, the average age of the forward line there is 23. And even goalkeeper, you have Pena and you have Arnaud Tanas, both under 24. So yep. it's a problem that Barca have had that they've been too old for a while. But right yep. now, they're both too old and too young. So if you continue to see links to Nkola Kante, it, again, it's not so crazy. Like he's 32, one of the best yep. in this position, and we'd be coming on a free. So a- injuries and wages are the concern, but you have to trust Alemani and Cruyff and the rest to do their jobs correctly. And it does mean that scouting is going to be really, really essential for Barcelona moving forward. Yeah. But I think from all of our perspectives, it's been frustrating to watch them bring in players that just don't make a lot of sense. So, yeah, that's why I use all those names. I give you all those yeah. names. It's like, it feels like, really, it does. Especially in this time period in January, it's going to be like Barcelona missed out another one. They miss out another one. They miss out another mm-hmm. one. But talk to me in four or five or six years, right? Because even, like, that's the thing about winning the Liga this year. Like, Barcelona have a squad this year to win the Liga. And that Liga trophy is going to count as much as the first trophy that Endrick wins in the Liga for Real Madrid in 2029, right? Like yeah. that's a Liga trophy in 2029 with Endrick, but it's also a Liga trophy right now in 2023 with the squad that Barcelona made. Yeah, agreed. And I think the, you know, you were talking about the, so I think there's two different parts of that. Yeah, when you were talking about the age um, post-PK, but we still have, you know, I was thinking immediately, you know, there's, Busquets, uh, Jordi Albog, 
Well, Lewandowski, obviously. I mean, and Ter Sagan's older than that that average age. But, you know, and the, the good thing the Barca have is, like you said, there was the problem that the the team was too old and it was tough to sort of blend in blend in the young guys because there was just too many legacy guys and too you know too many of the old guard or expensive veterans and things like that now you know exactly like you say two of the old older i put in in quotes you know Lewandowski and and i mean i wouldn't even call their stake in that but two of the guys who kind of bring that average up are two of the best players on on the team so that's not a concern Busquets is winding down his time and yeah i mean so beyond that kind of handful of players you start looking and everyone is incredibly young and and they seem to be young in a way they're young and experienced in in a lot of cases i mean just you know sort of experience beyond their years because pedri and gabi have played meaningful first team and first team international football well beyond what their ages would suggest they would have under their belts, you know, and, uh, you know, similarly with De Jong and, and all the other guys. I think that what you're saying is exactly right. I think, I don't know that you mentioned earlier, they're not really going to be in play for a lot in January. So even if anyone who is actually saying Barca missed out on, you know, this, that, and the other, I mean, I, I don't know if that's actually a reasonable statement to make. I mean, and there is enough on this roster to hold on and mount a, I mean, not mount a challenge, but, you know, hold on for, for a La Liga title. What you're saying actually makes, you know, makes so much sense. And I think we've had different versions of this conversation before that for, for a long time, at least leading up to this season, and you know, you could even argue last summer, there's been such an emphasis on looking outside of the club and, and acquiring and purchasing, you know, purchasing players. If you can even just get contributors or, you know, just solid above average squad players out of your academy where they're not costing you a massive sum of money. And they also are settled in with the club. They're settled into the region. Like you, you have, you know, they're more of a, a known quantity, even if they are much younger. I think that's exactly the way forward for, for Barca. I mean, at least until they have that, you know, big financial reset that they're talking about. And I mean, arguably even beyond, because there's nothing wrong with keeping some of your powder dry. You know, you don't have to necessarily, you, you don't have to do this kind of pseudo galactical, you know, thing of the, the minute you have anything resembling a whole, go and, you know, try to spend $60 million on on filling it. Those opportunities will come up and you need to take advantage of them, but that shouldn't be your default setting. And I do think that, I mean, like we talked about earlier, I think like N'Golo Conte would be a almost an ideal bridge for a specific position, but also for for a very young team. I mean, just because everything, you know, everything you ever hear about N'Golo Conte is just he's just tireless worker and just, you know, he's he's not... He's no kind of prima donna and, you know, he, there's no kind of ego clashes that you've ever heard of with him either, you know, whether at Leicester or Chelsea or wherever. Yep. And so I think those are the kinds of veterans that that you bring in, but you know, the, the bones of an incredible team are, are there. And those guys just happen to be young. I mean, I think a lot of it is sticking with them and yes, supplementing them with what you have in the Academy as well, because these guys are going to be your veterans and, you know, there's there seems to be a pathway to sustainability here as far as you know turning the squad over in a little bit more of an organic manner and not having to do these like massive overhauls and you know I think uh, I do appreciate when you do these uh, when you go through the the La Masia guys and you you know you talk about them this way because it is you know by and large unless people are really doing the homework and I'll admit I don't do a ton of the the La Masia, the La Masia homework 
it's easy to to fall into that trap of only looking out and just saying, you know, who can we buy? You know, who's the next prospect and whatever. When in fact, they could just be there. Like there might be, they're useful yeah. players. Yeah, I want to say about the academy. I mean, that's the thing that I, I can't stress enough over the years that if you've been with yeah. me for a while, like, yeah, I've, I wouldn't say, like, there's a lot of names that I've said to you that I've hyped mm-hmm. up in the past. Like I said, you know, for a while there, Andre Oriana was like this, this guy that was supposed yep. to be this successor and he had all those injuries and not to make excuses for him, but, you know, now he's a bench player for Andorra. He's not even a starter for Andorra yeah. as I try to, to keep up with him. And there have been so many players, right? Like Gerard Delafeo was supposed to be like the, one of the most can't-miss prospects that we've had in 20 yeah. years. And look what happened to Delafeo. I mean, he's still a quality professional. A lot of these yeah. players are quality professionals. I mean, honestly, that's what they produce. It's just how high did their ceiling go? And what I have to say is about like the level of potential, the level of prospect. It does have to do with a lot of – that's why every prospect that goes to Chelsea – I question, I really, I question that move, not because Chelsea would be the wrong place to go. Like they get to live in London in a great neighborhood and Chelsea is a, a great place to, to get a, a football education. But for Andre Santos to get the opportunities he had for what Chelsea's goals are, it's going to be really hard for a player like that to go from the second division of Brazilian football. And I mean, we've seen so many Brazilians struggle by going and jumping into the Premier League like that yeah. before making some, come, some other stop. Like that's why people are worried about Barella jumping right from Barcelona, uh, right from Boca Juniors to Barcelona. But again, at 21, like I've watched the guy play, like I feel like that's not a crazy step to go from mm-hmm. the Argentine first division with Boca Juniors playing in the Copa Libertadores to playing in the Liga. Like it's it's not that crazy of a step again for a 21 year old who you know I, we, I'll talk about him at a later date. But in terms of the academy kids, right? That I, I say that it is difficult to to, to note who's going to make it. And even yeah. though the potential might be really, really high, like I, I try to reiterate to people that like I'm not trying to overhype Yamal to you, but I'm telling you that he is spoken about in the academy by those coaches as having the most potential. Like we're not doing this whole messy thing, but he has the most potential as a forward since Ansu came through. When I talked about Alejandro Balde from the age of 14, I said yeah. if he was able to stay healthy and continue upon this linear progress, which is what kids do not do, but if he's yeah. able to stay on that path, He's going to be the left back of Barcelona. And now I yep. get to go take my victory lap because Alejandro Balde is Alejandro Balde. I had said, I had mentioned Gabi's name. I had said when he was 14 years old, hey, there's this kid playing for the kid at the U16 level who's just 14. <laughs> and it's like, there are those, and then I'm doing right now, of the even the five names I gave you, I gave you Pedrola, but he is an 18-year-old winger. Who knows, right? I mentioned Anha Alakan, an 18-year-old winger. Who knows? We don't know about those wingers. But I, when I say that Hector Fort is a 16-year-old right back, who is, who is now keeping, he's getting first team training and he's already getting pip for the UEFA Youth League, which is U19 level. And he's playing for the U19s and he's 16 and he's a right back, a position of need. Like I'm trying to just give you hints, like it might not work out, but I mentioned his name for this reason that he is the now right back in Barcelona system with the highest potential for quite a few years. Like I'm trying to think back and it has been like no player has turned 17 because they, they keep like they, they uh, the bunch left at the U15 16 age, but this is the highest ranked U16 or when he turned 17, 17 year old right back prospect that Barca have had in a considerable amount of time. I'm going to argue maybe since Juan Miranda, like that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. And look, even what happened to Miranda, he wasn't the guy, he didn't become the guy, but he also nope. came up at the wrong time. Like it wasn't, yeah. if Miranda was Montoya, Martin went to Montoya. Mm-hmm then Juan Miranda would have been Martin Montoya. Like if there was a need at the time, then he would have had that time, but it it just, it wasn't in the cards. And then I mentioned Yamal as well, again, for the same reason that Yamal, 
I've heard about him since he was 12 years old. And there's been other 12 year olds that we've heard about that have whatever crashed out. But now that he's 15 years old, it's been three years. And he's again, training with the first team, U19s. If you get called the first team training and Xavi seem to like you and the club is obviously trying to keep your services, there's a reason I'm going to say his name, right? That's not me, the academy, and that's everybody else. So yeah, I just want to put a little bow on that and say that while the academy, they expect that Barcelona is going to produce first team players year in after year out, year out, like, no, we have to trust what Francesc Tomas said on this podcast so many times. If one or two come out of any generation of, we're talking two, three years, if you get one or two in a two, three year period, you've had a really good stretch there. But because of Barca's financial constraints, they've had to rely more on their academy. And their academy, it's worked out really well that they've had these high-level prospects come through almost back-to-back-to-back in Ansu. And, and be, and yeah, be capable of playing, yeah. Yeah, so yeah because it's... Yeah, because as much as I hate to put it in in these terms, I mean it is like, and and I don't I don't mean it in the sort of the the, the cold sort of the the cold capitalistic terms of it. A little bit of you know youth development is kind of it's venture capital. You know, it's uh, out of every yeah twenty kids that comes in, if you get one or two quality contributors, that is a pretty good hit rate, and that more than that more than covers you know any any other shortfalls the. That might be. Yeah. I mean, I think you know we we hear about all these these top prospects, and it's easy to easy and tempting and hopeful to to dream on all of them hitting their ninetieth or ninety ninth percentile outcomes as as senior pros, right? And if that happens, you know, I mean, that's when you get Xavi Iniesta, Busquets, Puyol, you know, like the that's when you end up with Guardiola's <laughs> Guardiola's uh, Barca teams, but. If you get quality contributors, one a year or, you know, something like that, and they don't even have to be stars, but just, you know, there's something to be said for rounding out your depth with above average players. Like it doesn't get the heart racing a lot of times, but that that's what, that's what wins you, particularly leagues, you know, over a long season is people get tired, people get, people get injured and people get suspended and you know, you need to, it minimizes the, the drop off too from your first team stars to whatever is behind them. And that that's what, you know, guides you through a long campaign. Maybe not a knockout match, but, you know, but you need that in league play. Yeah, I mean, and that's a good transition, I think, to our last segment here in the Barca Barcelona mm-hmm. Gemini. You were at the game yesterday again. Throw the yeah. guard, but they absolutely blew them off the field. And I think, you know, I, I'm seeing this in the numbers too, even though a lot of credit to the zone who've had, you know, I think just a wonderful uh, plan as far as broadcasting and getting mm-hmm. those games out and making those Champions League games available and even making some of the league games available. It's been really great this season, so I'm really happy with what the zone has done. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think with Alexi Buteus being out the whole season, it is certainly it is certainly taken a lot of the, the luster out of it. Most of the questions I get about the Femini are about when Alexi Buteus is coming back. Sure. For good reason, too. She is the best player in the world, now two years running, and she's yep. been missing the entire year. So uh, I was also with Barca Femini a few weeks ago, losing to Bayern Munich in the group stage of the Champions League. There was a bit of uh, gloom and doom, but they still handily won the group. And I know it sounds crazy, but if you look at all of the Champions League contenders, they all had some kind of hiccup or looked less than invincible in the group stage of the Champions League. So the yeah. women's Champions League is pretty wide open for the yes. first time in a while. It feels like that at this point. And so they could easily round in a form, like looking at you, Leon, who survived. I mean, literally survived, like should not yeah. have been there, should have been eliminated in the group stage, but they survived. And by the way, having those number of contenders is great for women's football. 
I just want to throw out there too. Well, Rosengard didn't put up much of a fight against Barca mm-hmm. yesterday. It was nice to see that almost every group was contested until the final match day. Last thing is, I, I know it does seem like an oversight, and we unfortunately are running out mm-hmm. of time here. So I do want to touch on where the feminine is right now, but yeah. I'm not really going to be getting into the debate about mm-hmm. what's raging on right now in the women's game, and that's about the ACL and about the injuries, particularly Vivian Miedema of mm-hmm. Arsenal going down recently, yeah. joining Alexi Buteas, and a ton, a ton of the other top, top, top players. I, you know, of the, the list of players that are down right now with ACLs, it's like six of the top 12 players yeah. in the women's game are all on the shelf for well, long-term injuries, including ACLs. So, you know. And then, yeah, because I mean, even uh, like Carolyn Graham Hansen is out, not with an ACL, but, you know, she has her own like muscle injury in her, yeah, yeah. So, in her leg. She's been out for, yeah. yeah. And, and I had said that she was going to be the most important player with Alexia out for so much of this season. So, you know, then yeah. she's going to be missing. So, it, you know, as I said, it's not my place. And I haven't put together the proper ideas mm-hmm. and opinions from the right people mm-hmm. who know better. So this issue isn't going away, like the, the injuries in the women's game. So we'll visit that later. But mm-hmm. for now, who is still healthy for the feminine are doing quite well, Emil. And, <laughs> you know, yesterday, all of the back line scored. Yeah, uh, that was awesome. The Rolf I mean, in particular with Aitana Baimani was certainly the highlight. Of course, that Baimani touch on the assist. And it's interesting because I think where Moppy's absolute rocket into the, the yeah, yeah. That's like expected, but <laughs> I, mean, I, kind I kind of want <laughs> your report. I kind of want your report, mm. but where I want to begin yeah. with your report is Rolf's goal because yeah. by becoming a top left back and arguably the top mm. left back in the sport by shifting back there, like yeah. defensively, she hasn't entirely given you everything she needed to, but physically, she is always a little bit taller. Yes, usually taller than the winger she's contending with. Yes, and just just physically, she can outmuscle. And she has the physical tools, even if the positioning isn't always there. But then yeah. obviously she's a winger at heart. So she's constantly going to get forward. So let's start there tactically. But from from the feminine's case, like yeah, it was more Bonmati, but I feel like this team is by trying to find their identity without Alexi Buteas, it's hard to kind of pin that down with all the injuries they've had in and out. But yesterday it kind of felt like it was one of those we know who we are, we're better than them, let's take care of business. So I've actually I have season tickets to Femini, so I've actually been to all of the league matches and the two at Camp Nou. And what's really interesting to watch, even just, you know, away from the action, I mean, you touched on it. I think first to take a step back and kind of sing the praises of uh, Fridolina Rolfo because, you know, I mean, she was a Ballon d'Or finalist and, you know, she was finished 19th in the voting this year and she's hands down one of the best players in the world. You know, last year she... She started at, yeah, so now she's moved to left back, but she's also played at right back. And last year she played, I believe, one of the games at various points in the Champions League and even in league play, she dabbled in the midfield. I mean, she's, you know, she's played up front in a pinch for for short for short stretches. Her versatility, but also, I mean, I guess lack of, yeah, like like lack of ego or sort of commitment to squad harmony is really incredible because she essentially committed to becoming the full-time first choice left back because they brought in another superstar right back. And there was no ruffled feathers and there was, you know, no complaints whatsoever. And in a weird, I mean, I, th- I think the back line that they have right now of Rolfo, Mapideon, Paredes, and Bronze when, when the four of them are playing together is... Absolutely spectacular because, yeah, while Rofo is the one that is obviously looking to get forward more, her, I think just her, her strength, but also her height. And thus, you know, she's able to cover so much ground when she has to make up ground getting back from having 
gone forward. And she is absolutely spectacular at breaking up opposition passing moves while she's sort of retreating back on defense. That is one of the things that I've noticed that is, and, you know, even when you're at a game, like you always get the kind of those rounds of applause for that, where she nonchalantly just comes in, you know, you worry that she might be out of position, but within three or four strides, she's not only in position, she's knocked the ball back to Paredes or Mappy Leon or whoever, and now we're resetting and ready to go again. So I think the, speaking more broadly, the the absence of Alexia, I actually thought a lot about this, and it's tough to call anyone on Barca Femme really sort of unsung in the sense that I feel like outside of Alexia and maybe Aitana, and I feel like they're simultaneously all either all unsung or the collective receives so much praise that it's impossible for anybody to be unsung. So I don't know where exactly I found this, but I always think of, I think you and I talked about Patri in the past. Um, I, I think there's this core of Paredes, Rolfo, Patri, and honestly, Marta Torrejon have been just absolutely incredible at almost keeping a sense of stability and keeping the whole keeping the whole ship, you know, on on course. And then you have the spectacular play of Aitana and Galen Graham Hansen before she got hurt, you know, in the first three games. And you know, you get Claudia Pina popping up and doing ridiculous things. And the the two newcomers, Salma and and Gese, are absolutely ridiculous. In a weird way, it's kind of been Alexia by Alexia by committee and it's been really impressive watching them. And when Alexia comes back, just given her, the way that she both has total command over, over the pitch and is the talisman for the team, but also doesn't, I guess for lack of a better word, doesn't kind of rule with an iron fist in that role. I think the team is going to be just all that much better for it. The, the people who've been deputized into, into these roles. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I talked about Patri and, you know, uh, we talked about Kira Walsh, who has found her found her stride with with the team, and now kind of plays a perfect. I mean, I don't want to say like a Busquets role, but sort of she is a yeah, she's just an absolute rock in that in that spot. And Chernogorjevic has just been there every game, so I think everyone has had a chance to sort of grow into a bigger role out of necessity, and they still have such an absolute wellspring of of talent, and just you know, the bench would be good enough to win most of their matches. And it's been really fascinating to watch because it's a team of stars that doesn't have a superstar and at, you know, at the moment and potentially that will be Aitana or whatever, but they're putting in really cool, cool to watch collaborative efforts. Everyone seems to be bought in on the fact that we are all excellent, but we're only going to actually get this done together. And I mean, that was always the case with when Alexi was there also, but I think with Alexi, you had this leading light you know it was just you know you have the the mega super duper star and then you all just get to be this incredible ensemble around her but now it's but there's still the ensemble you know no one has everyone's kind of stepped up but no one has seemed to i don't know everyone everyone seems to have a a proper gauge on what their role is in this in the system and it's been just the whole that evolution of of this team and how the new players who've come in and you know the the holdovers and everyone it's it's incredible that it's been such a smooth, almost seamless transition from one year to the next, and also just the massive absence of Alexia and then also uh, Graham Hansen as well. Well, I think, of course, here on the show and the content that I produce, we wind up kind of revving it up as the yeah. spring happens because with this feminine team, 
their legacy gets decided with trophies and gets decided yeah. in the spring and later and later in the spring as well. Yeah. How far they got in the Champions League. So we'll continue to talk more and more about this team as the months go yeah. on. Like not to say that the fall and the first half of their season is always boring, but you kind of know where they're going to be. They've pretty much already wrapped up the, the first division incredibly already. And then right. how far are they going to go in the Copa del Rey? How far do they get in the Champions League? Of course, and their metric, unfortunately, is the PSG thing where they're, they're, it's going to be decided how far they're going. Yeah, to it's get. Champions League. Yeah, it's always Champions League or bust. And I mean, I think almost the the interesting part of watching them, you know, from the start of the season until about you know what January, February. So I guess before the up until the knockouts of the Champions League, I feel like I guess there's no other way for this to come off. <laughs> so I was going to say I don't mean this to sound as sort of patronizing to the to the domestic competition that they face as it will, but what are you going to do? Um, it's, I, I think I will say though, they've had a few it's more been, it's been stronger. And then the last two seasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Real Sociedad a few weeks ago, I mean, gave them all they wanted. I mean, right. they needed, yep. they needed two goals to pull out a two, one win in the last 25 minutes. And yep. yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't which a cakewalk, which is good. Like I, I, the thing with the Femini too, is like, can they be challenged? Can, yeah. can some other team give them some kind of proper fight before it's time to face down the other, giants of of europe yeah exactly because a lot of what it what it feels like i mean particularly against sort of mid-table and and lower table la liga or liga f competition it almost feels more like i'm going to the theater than i'm going to you know a competitive sporting event um not that that's bad you know i mean it's it's eminently enjoyable but it is you know it's nice to see them in a weird way the as jarring as the the bayern munich loss was it was good to sort of see them get their feathers ruffled a little bit and just, they were never not going to advance from the champion, you know, from the group or anything like that. I mean, they were never even really ever going to not win the group, but it was nice to see how do you, how do they recover from this, from hitting this little speed bump? And does it, does it turn into sort of a protracted slump or do they just get back down to business? And yeah, I mean, they've done what they've had to do. You know, they went to beaten Benfica in Portugal and uh, Rosengard here, 12-2 in on aggregate and so they've they've done the they've done exactly what it is you would ask them to do yep so again well we'll keep eyes on them throughout this season but i think that'll wrap up another edition of a show it was a long one but yeah i hope you got mm-hmm. to do this while you were sitting around with family mm-hmm. and friends and enjoying your holiday i i likely will have some kind of content out next week i'm not sure exactly what it'll be i might not bother any guests to join me i might not mm-hmm. bother any of your friends to to be here on the show with me so <laughs> we'll have some kind of thing next week uh, before again action begins in against Espanol on the 31st so yeah weird thing but I appreciate everyone who stuck with me for 2022 this is now year five I think now technically 2023 we're entering year six of the podcast so boy oh boy it winds up taking up more and more of your life like even crazy to think that when this show started intercity CF intercity was not yet a team they had yet right they were they were two months they had just been founded two months prior to us to us putting this all together mm-hmm. so or sorry they were two months away from playing their first match uh <laughs> in the city when this when this podcast started so that's how long it's been in your ears and i really appreciate especially those who've been me since the mm-hmm. very beginning so again this is the holiday season i get really grateful and appreciative mm-hmm. so before i start to get all emotional here on the show emil let, let's get let's get this out of here so twitter instagram for him for me mm-hmm. uh close user group first on a podcast you know that patreon discord youtube channel all that gobbledygook. You know where to find us at this point if you're still with us. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, of course, of course.